You're listening to special programming brought to you by Glow Fitness. The content of this program does not reflect the views or opinions of 91.5 Jazz and More, the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, or the Board of Regents of the Nevada System of Higher Education. Breaking Down Barriers is brought to you by Glow Fitness, a fitness studio offering a variety of classes and sessions like Mommy and Me for mothers wanting to connect with their children through fitness, offering strength training, boot camps, and more. Glow Fitness is located at 4250 East Bonanza Road, Suite 19. Specials and class schedules available at glowfitness.vegas or glowfitness.vegas on Instagram. More information by phone at 702-612-6414. This city is my city and I love it. Yeah, I love it. I was born in Welcome to another edition of Breaking Down Barriers with Walden Earl. Well, who do we have as our, have our, as our guest Listen, today? Listen, uh, Earl, thank you for that. I'm excited. We have uh, the current district attorney uh, with Clark County here. His name is Steve Wolfson. We've known him for years, and we're excited to have you on our show. Well, thanks, uh, Walton Earl. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Steve, I'm going to start with our first question. Share with us uh, some of your background, where you're from, how you did it, where you went to school, and some of the exciting highlights in it. Sure. Well, uh, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, uh, did uh, the beginning of my schooling there, but I then went away to college and law school in San Diego. And then when I graduated law school 42 years ago, yeah, I know, Earl, it's hard to believe, you know, I'm that old. Uh, I, uh, I took a job here in Las Vegas, uh, first job at a law school as a law clerk in the Clark County District Attorney's Office. Oh, my in gosh. In fact, that was 42 years ago last week. Wow. And I served as a law clerk in the DA's office for one year, then went on to be a deputy district attorney, which I did for close to six years. And what's really kind of cool, at least in my own mind, gentlemen, is the same office I now manage and run, the Clark County DA's office, I started my legal career in 42 wow. years ago. Wonderful. That's wonderful. Wow, what a, what, a, what a way to come back to where you started. Yeah, kind of, yeah, good, exactly, good. Earl. Well, my question is, Steve, what would you say are the top three priorities for your office? Well, the first one is easy, and that's public safety. Public safety has always been and will always be my number one priority because that's what our citizens want and care most about. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, people care about feeding their families and having a good job and making sure that they can provide for their families, but being safe in this community is number one. So public safety is my number one priority. Okay. Um, I can go on from there because uh, that has certain tentacles. Mm -hmm. uh, Earl, sure. um, you know, I work with the law enforcement agencies on a, a daily basis um, in a variety of programs. 
but uh, most of our citizens want to be safe in their community. So that's my number one priority. All right. All right. Uh, Steve, can you share with us the SMART Reform Initiative? Sure. You know, it's not really, Walt, a part of my re-election um, platform because I smarted, smarted, I started <laughs> what I call SMART Reforms a number of years ago because uh, this um, country of ours is changing. Amen. Uh, criminal justice and the criminal justice movement, if I can call it that, started many, many years ago where we realized we couldn't arrest our way out of problems. Uh, we've lost the war on drugs by incarcerating a lot of people and, and too many people. So we needed to make some changes. Um, so I started doing some reforms a number of years ago. Um, but I do refer to them as smart reforms mm -hmm. because there are a lot of very liberal prosecutors uh, at various uh, places in this country that, in my opinion, went too far. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we want to do smart reforms, not just reform for the mm -hmm. sake of reforming. So one of the first things I did, which I'm very proud of, was about six or seven years ago, I established the first conviction review unit in the state of Nevada. Mm. And what this unit does is reviews claims of innocence because we all recognize that there are some innocent people in sure. our prison system. Sure. And whether it be a DNA or whether it be new evidence that comes forth years later, um, we needed to recognize that there needed to be a vehicle to review convictions mm -hmm. if new information came forward. So I can, uh, uh, created the first conviction review unit, which does just that. We review claims of innocence if it meets a certain criteria. DNA is the most common. Because 20, 30 years ago when people were being convicted, we didn't have the scientific uh, DNA um, sophistication that we do now. And now that we have such sophisticated labs and sophisticated ways to examine DNA evidence, we're finding that there are some people, the good news is very few, but there are some that were wrongfully convicted. Mm -hmm. So I created this conviction review unit to review claims of innocence. And I will say that a few years ago, a case was submitted to our office, uh, a young man, uh, his name is DeMarlo Berry, who was convicted of murder perhaps 20 plus years ago, and new information came forward. Mm -hmm. So my unit did a complete uh, and, and new investigation, and we determined that the right thing to do was to release Mr. Berry from prison. And there have been a couple of others since then. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a reform initiative, if you will, that was established a number of years ago. Another one I'd like to mention, which I'm very proud of, is Project Redirect. What we are finding in the criminal justice system is too many cases take too long to get processed out. Uh, many cases, a person will be arrested on day one. They'll be released from jail. They'll return 90 days later. 
They'll get a lawyer or they'll get a lawyer appointed to them. Then the next court date's another 90 to 120 hmm. days. So 6, 8, 10, 12 months pass, and they're not getting any of the services they need. Because so many of the people, so many of the offenders have alcohol or drug problems or have mental health diagnoses. That's right. That's right. So in the typical case, they don't get any help or services for many, many, many months. So I created this program called Project Redirect, which is a pre-charge diversion program. Notice I said pre-charge. Mm-hmm. So this is even before we charge people with the crime, if they meet a certain criteria, and we're talking about low-level nonviolent offenders. No, the murderers, the raper, rapists, the robbers, the sexual assault folks, uh, gun violence, gang violence, those cases don't qualify. Sure. But the other 90% of cases that are in our system uh, do qualify. So we will quickly, within just a couple of days, if not a week or so, evaluate a case and reach out to the offender and his or her lawyer and say, do you want to be considered for a pre-charge diversion program? If they do, they are given an assessment of what their needs are and then by a professional person, and then we craft a program for three to six months to address their needs, alcohol, drugs, mental health. And if they agree to this program, they start right away. They start within just a few weeks of their arrest getting services, and if they participate in the program and stay out of trouble, Mm -hmm. they can't get in further trouble, then at the end of a period of about six to nine months, uh, assuming they've completed the program and stayed out of trouble, we don't file charges against them. So what this does is it diverts cases of the low-level nonviolent offenders out of our criminal justice system. So it saves money. And helps people. Oh, and helps people. Yeah. That's exactly right. So that's Project Redirect, which I'm very proud of. That is outstanding. I never, Earl, had you heard of that? No, and I I think it's outstanding. Is is, um, is this being done anywhere else across the country? Oh, yeah. There are other prosecutors' offices and and other criminal justice communities that do pre-charge diversion programs. But I came up with this a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. thought it was a great idea. I explored it. We took some of the criteria from other programs in other parts of the country to incorporate that into our program. And, you know, COVID then hit. So everything kind of stood still during 2020. But we're back up and running and and people are doing great in the program. And then the final thing, which I'd love to talk about, but this is your program. You tell me. <laughs> you can talk about it. Go ahead. Well, is share, the hope, share is, with our audience. Is the Hope for Prisoners program. Okay. Amen. Um, I, I don't know if you gentlemen are familiar with John Ponder. We very, are. Very good friend of ours. Okay. So I met John about oh, six, seven, eight years ago, uh, went to one of the graduations, and I was convinced that this was a program I wanted to be part of. So in the last six or seven years, I've spoken at 15 to 20 of their graduations. I was on their board for a couple of years, and it's the best reentry program, to my knowledge, in the country. 
So I'm going to segue quickly into something. Mm-hmm. And I'm being a little braggadocious, guys. <laughs> but Go ahead. I'm Go very ahead. proud of the work that my office does in a, in a couple of areas. The Hope for Prisoners program is a reentry program. People that are reentering back into our community from federal, state, and local facilities, correct? Prisons, mm-hmm. jails. Mm-hmm. Well, about three years ago, I said, why are we waiting until people are getting out of jail and prison to give them essential services? Why don't we offer these kinds of services to certain people that are deserving and qualify at the pre-entry stage? Makes a lot of sense. So I went to John Ponder. I said, John, I got an idea. And he said, great, let's go with it. So I created Hope for Second Chances. It's a derivative of Hope for Prisoners where if certain people qualify, and there's a criteria for this program, then we will offer them the services of Hope for Prisoners, which is phenomenal. The case management, the mentors, job training, they teach you how to go on a job interview. And Hope for Prisoners is a 12 to 18 month program. So if people qualify, rather than send them to jail, we offer them Hope for Prisoners as a condition of probation. And if they successfully complete the program and stay out of trouble, a lot of times they're gonna drop down in their case but we're saving the community so much money because what happens if we send somebody to prison for two, three, four years? Mm -hmm. They don't come out a better person. No. And remember, there's probably a couple of hundred people a day returning back to this community from jails and prisons. Mm -hmm. So if we can keep a few of the people that are deserving from going to prison and getting them the services they need in lieu of going to prison, that's a good thing. Wow, that's that, that's great information. We uh, we knew about Hope for Prisoners, and as Earl said, John's mm-hmm. a f- good friend of ours. Yes, but I didn't know about the Hope for Second Chances. That right. makes so we yeah. in our business uh, run on to people that have been out of jail for a while, and they're trying to get back on their feet, mm-hmm. and they just can't. Your program by them starting that earlier mm-hmm. makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, you know, I, I, when I went to John and said, John, I'd like to use your re-entry program at the pre-entry <laughs> stage, he kind of gave me a look like, huh? Uh, but John has told me because, you know, he travels the country. Right. Um, trying to spread the goodwill of Hope for Prisoners to other jurisdictions. And he told me uh, a couple of years ago when this program got off its feet that it's the first re-entry program used pre-entry by any district attorney's office in the country. Wow, wow that's, that's exciting. So I'm very proud of the work my office does. I bet. That is, uh, that's good news. That's good news for the community. It is. Because uh, some of these folks, they, they get out of prison and, and you know they don't know how to do anything else, so they might revert to those They things. don't have the skill sets. They don't have a mentoring program. You know, traditionally, people that get out of prison, they're on parole, mm-hmm. and they have a parole officers, officer. But our parole officers are overburdened. Right. They have, you know, 300-person caseload. They True. can't give the attention that people need because most people want to be law-abiding citizens. Right. 
you know, they're returning to their families. They have children. They have wives, husbands. A lot of women are in these programs. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage anybody that has not been to a Hope for Prisoners graduation, they're once a month on a Friday afternoon to go because it will inspire you to go to one of these graduations. We've been to them, and they are inspiring. Yeah. They're amazing, just amazing. Yeah. Matter of fact, we we had some referrals that we went to support the person that we re- yes. referred to them that graduated and uh, we were we were really excited and uh, glad to be a part of that. And we congratulate John in doing uh, yeah. such a good work and bringing a valuable service to our community. That's that that helps out a lot. Yes, Steve. I wanted to to go into something here. What do you see? Because the world changes all the time. Uh, what do you see in some of the challenges in prosecute, uh, prosecuting cases, whether it be criminal cases, homeless, just mm-hmm. simple trespass, all those types of things? Well, let me start with the effect that COVID had huh. on the justice system. And notice mm-hmm. I didn't say criminal justice system mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we have a justice system which includes our civil cases. Sure. You know, uh, uh, personal injury lawsuits, contract disputes, all Mm. sorts of civil matters, in addition to my specialty, which is the criminal justice types of matters. So when COVID hit, the justice system pretty much shut down because people had to stay home. People had to um, quarantine. Uh, We basically, with a very few exceptions, shut down the courthouse. Now, the police officers didn't stop writing traffic tickets (laughs) and the criminals didn't stop committing crimes and the police didn't stop arresting and taking people to jail. So what happened was uh, a pretty significant backlog of cases because we stopped doing jury trials for, I believe, six to eight months. So when we stopped doing jury trials... Those cases back up. They get backlogged, if you will, Mm -hmm. because most cases plea bargain. You know, we have um, thousands and thousands and thousands of felony cases that are in our system, but we only do about 120 to 150 jury trials a year. I'm talking about on the criminal side, which means that 99% of our cases are settled through a plea bargain. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. A plea bargain is where somebody agrees to plead guilty Mm -hmm. and is punished. But what happens most often is when they get close to a jury trial is when they say, okay, I don't want to go to trial. I want to accept a settlement. Right. But if we're not having trials, they don't have the incentive to settle their case, if that makes sense. It does. So there was a huge, huge backlog of many, many cases for many, many months. That's in 2020. Let's fast forward to 2021 when we came out of COVID and the system got got back up and running. And I want to thank our judges, our district court judges, our justices of the peace, our municipal court judges, because we worked with them to tackle these issues. And we created some uh, different ways of doing things more settlement conferences to try and resolve cases. And we have got 
basically, we've got rid of the backlog of felony cases. Uh, we still have a lot of wow. traffic tickets, though. We've got <laughs> thousands and thousands. Because think of it, Earl. For six months, people were getting tickets. And I'm going to say there were, you know, two to three to 400 tickets written a day. And as oh you know, as you wow. know, Walt, when you get it, well, how many, I mean, you've got police officers out there writing traffic tickets, sure, right? right? Sure. And I'm not just talking Metro. you got Henderson and Northtown. Mm. And normally when you get a traffic ticket, you sign and you have to appear, right? 30 days or 60 days later. Well, these people were coming to the courthouse and were being told to go away because <laughs> we're shut down because of COVID. So here we go fast forward into 2021. And now all these people are, are welcome back. So we have thousands and thousands of traffic matters, but we created some pre-trial um, ways of handling these matters. So we're getting through the backlog of traffic tickets as well. Okay. So, so that's one, you know, you asked me about challenges. Sure. Coming out challenge. of COVID and dealing with the number of cases uh, was probably the biggest challenge, but we're doing great now. I I, it, I didn't realize that the courthouse was shut down for I eight never months. Thought of it. Well, never it was open that. for the in custody cases. Okay. Remember, I said the police didn't stop arresting, right. and you know a number of the people that were either flight risks or danger to the community mm-hmm. okay. stayed in custody. So we had to continue to process the in custody cases the best we could. But the vast majority of cases aren't those. They're out of custody. Those are the ones that got delayed. Hmm. So the courthouse shut down as far as doing the normal stuff, the jury trials and things like that. But we still kept moving forward with the necessary cases, the in custodies. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that uh, some of the people that we – deal with, Steve, uh, have evictions, and during that COVID period, slowed the process way down. It was was something. Yes, and Walt, you know, you asked me about the homeless problem. I think I mentioned to you, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, and I still have two sisters and a daughter that live in that area. You gentlemen are familiar with Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Las Vegas, thank goodness, at least today, isn't as bad as some of these other major cities. Because when I go to L.A., the tent cities they have in the L.A. area. Venice Beach. Oh, I Venice went Beach. to Venice Beach, and, and yeah. the homeless had beachfront property because they were all on the beach. They do. They yeah. do. But even in other places in the Hollywood area and mm. the Los Angeles area, you will see, tent, they call them tent cities, where they will go for blocks and blocks and blocks of communities of homelessness. Now, we do have a couple of areas like that. Foremaster Lane, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, still has that kind of environment. But it's a it's a pretty small area compared to the other big cities. But we have a number of homeless individuals in this community. Uh, a significant number of them have mental health diagnoses. Right drug problems, alcohol problems. A lot of those homeless folks would really rather not be homeless. They'd, oh, they'd like to be productive citizens. I agree. But due to circumstances, you know, it's a difficult program. We don't want to put the homeless people in jail. No. You know, they, they shouldn't be in jail unless they're committing crimes, and some do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an issue that that's, is still something that 
all of the community stakeholders have to continue to deal with. That's right. Yeah. You made a, a comment. This is this is probably five or six years ago. Earl and I were talking to you about the homeless at a specific property, and I think it was during the winter, and it was cold, uh, really cold, and uh, some of these folks will uh, go to break a window to get in or mm-hmm. break a door down or whatever the case may be, and I think you and I and Earl all talked about, well, we probably would do that too if we were cold. Well, they're desperate. Yeah. They're desperate. They're desperate. And, you know, and and a lot of these folks really don't mean harm. Mm -hmm. But if it's 30 degrees outside and they don't have a choice, you know, and I say that phrase tongue in cheek because a lot of these folks, there's a a bed available throughout this city every, every day. Okay. So there are places for the homeless people. The homeless people don't have to go hungry. There's food uh, 24-7 available for the homeless, but a lot of the homeless people either can't because of mental health diagnosis or don't want to go to a public shelter. And if they're desperate, yeah, they're going to break a window and and seek shelter for the evening. Steve, I'm going to tell you about an example that Earl and I saw a few years ago. Same kind of situation. There was a lady late afternoon (laughs) on Foremaster getting her kind of her place where she was going to stay that night, and it was cold outside. And we had gloves and jackets and all kinds of stuff. And I asked her, I said, why don't you go over to Catholic Charity? She was right across the street. She said, well, we don't want to go over there. I said, well, what are you going to do? She says, we're just going to take it. Mm-hmm. So it's sad. But yeah. she she mentally didn't want to go over to Catholic Charity. She had a choice and didn't take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, gosh. Well, Steve, is there anything, uh, as we're getting close to the, to the end here, is there anything that you want to add that you want to tell our listening audience uh, that you'd like to share with them? Well, I, I truly do have an open-door policy, and I know that's a term that politicians use all the time. But I've been in politics 18 years. I was a city councilman for the city of Las Vegas for eight years and now the DA for about 10 and a half. And I'll sit down with anybody. And my staff knows that. People and we know that know too. That. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and sometimes, to be perfectly candid, it's, it's not the most pleasant situation because sure. people come in with mm-hmm. complaints and gripes and, you know, th- things they want to get off their chest. But what I've learned, Earl and Walt, over the years is if you sit down with people, most people just want information. Most people have a void. They don't understand the system or they haven't gotten the right questions answered. And uh, I'll sit down with folks from my office and I have victim uh, advocates that will sometimes sit or the lawyers that are assigned to a particular case. And a lot of times people will just want answers to their questions. So what I'm saying to you, Earl, is that if there's people out there that want to sit down with me, I'll sit down. Now, I've got a couple of exceptions. If you're rude and cantankerous and you show up in my lobby yelling and screaming, I'm going to call the marshal. (laughs) But most people, you know, even if they've got a gripe or a problem, appear and they're professional um, I've got to pull the case so I can educate myself before I sit down with them. Um, but I do that on a regular basis because I find that it's productive. A lot of times people just want information. 
Well, listen, I, I thank you for that. And we have experienced um, interaction with your staff, professional, Very compassionate. Nice. Very nice people. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, the citizens of Las Vegas are lucky to have a, a district attorney such as you. Well, and, you're you're certainly a smart man. Or, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, in, yeah, I say that in jest. Right. But, you know, thank you for those kind words. I'm not perfect, and I make mistakes like everybody else. Um, but I have a staff of 700 people, 160-some-odd lawyers, uh, and that's what I do. I manage people right now. I mean, I did practice uh, – uh, law for 32 years. So I think I know what I'm doing. I did, you know, 60, 70 jury trials. So I've got experience at doing what my lawyers do. But what I do right now is I manage people. And I also get involved in a lot of cases. Um, the saying I have is that if you read about it in the newspaper <laughs> or see it on television, my fingerprints are on it because I make all of the major decisions on the major cases. That's good to know. That's good to know. Um, and some that. of them aren't easy. No, I can imagine. Um, you know, I get lobbied pretty good sometimes on both sides. You know, the victims want uh, the death penalty and the <laughs> defendants <laughs> want probation and everything in the middle. But I'm always willing to listen. I think I'm a pretty good listener. Mm-hmm. Well, we want to thank you for uh, being our guest today and, uh, and to our listening audience. Until next month, uh, this is Earl and Walt breaking down Barry. Breaking Down Barriers is brought to you by Glow Fitness, a fitness studio offering a variety of classes and sessions like Mommy and Me for mothers wanting to connect with their children through fitness, offering strength training, boot camps, and more. Glow Fitness is located at 4250 East Bonanza Road, Suite 19. Specials and class schedules available at glowfitness.vegas or glowfitness.vegas on Instagram. More information by phone at 702-612-6414.